Hello, and welcome to Rise of the Data Cloud. Today's episode features an interview with Volker Osendut, head of data and analytics at Douglas. Volker has spent the last 20 years leading the world of business intelligence in Europe, previously working at Unity Media and EY. In this episode, Volker shows us how data supports the beauty industry. He talks about the intersection of business and technology, e-commerce data strategies during the pandemic, re-educating your workforce, and much more. So please enjoy this interview between Volker Osendut, Head of Data and Analytics at Douglas, and your host, Steve Hamm. So it's nice to talk to you again, Volker. Uh, good morning, Steve. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So I think most of our podcast listeners in the United States probably aren't very familiar with Douglas Cosmetics. So it would be great if you could start off by describing a bit about the company's history and the scope of its business today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to do, Steve. Douglas aims to be Europe's first beauty destination with sales over 3 billion euros. And this is uh, the fact despite COVID-19. And that is uh, also due to the strong fact that uh, we've grown immensely in e-commerce over the last years. Douglas, we are looking back at a long and successful history. And we started even in 1821 as a soap factory in Hamburg's uh, warehouse district. So it's a long way since then. And in uh, 1910, we opened uh, our first perfumery, Douglas, in Hamburg. That was followed by five other stores over the coming next years. And so uh, we really uh, accelerated our growth in the 1980s, where we started our international business in many European countries, like France, Spain, uh, the Netherlands, and uh, even in the U.S. market. Okay. What was your own career path before you joined the company and, and what took you to the company? And what took me to the company, so I was always very much interested in the topic of data and insights. Right after my MBA, I started my career with uh, German Telco in 2005 because I felt uh, that it's really my thing to do the uh, translation between business requirements and data that a company is using. So I started in the business intelligence department and was heavily involved in yeah, doing reporting stuff, things like that, and uh, really digging deep into the data. And then it, I came to the point where I wanted to see more of the data world. I changed jobs and started to be BI consultant and had the opportunity to give advice on BI strategy, on BI architecture, on governance topics to companies coming from different sectors, like the telco sector, like banking and retail. But after about 10 years into consulting, I returned to my roots and uh, joined again uh, Telco as Director of Demand and Project Management in 2017. And I was there responsible to assure the consistency of requirements of data, so to make really sure that the most relevant information is presented uh, to the management and being made available in the processes. And coming from this background, I joined uh, the Parfumerie Douglas in 2019. And I'm now responsible to provide actionable data and also the right insights to our group and local functions. And what made me come and decide to join Douglas was especially our move that was driven by Tina Müller, strengthening the e-com business. We had this initiative, Hashtag Forward Beauty, and that was putting e-commerce at the core of new business, of the new business strategy. So we successfully strengthened our e-com and we transformed the whole company from a stationary point of sales into a point of experience. 
And this was yeah. uh, the foundation that we laid in 2019, where we come from as a retailer with online shops, and we evolved into a digital enterprise with stationary business. And just two years ago, we started our online marketplace in Germany. So today we are looking at uh, 1 billion euros of revenue that is just originating from our online sales. And this is a, well, strong driver for our business. And at the same time, for me as a data guy, it's a very interesting field of action. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's, you've bridged between business and technology most of your career. A lot of it in telecom. Is the cosmetics business very different uh, than telecom in terms of the kinds of data you use and how you use it? It depends, you could say. So telco is in that far different as you've got a very good understanding of your customer because you can identify each and every customer and you can track his experience with your products very, very well. So in retail, often you don't have this possibility to really get that close to your customer. It's a little bit different with Douglas as we've got one of the strongest single brand customer programs. So we've got duty cards. So customers holding our card and we can identify those customers. And by doing so, we can provide them with a very unique experience and really focus on each and every customer very well. This episode is brought to you by Snowflake. Join 50,000 of your peers at Snowflake's annual global user conference, Snowflake Summit, this June 8th through 10th. Hear from Snowflake customers, industry thought leaders, and more about how they bring data together now with the data cloud. Learn more and register at snowflake.com slash summit. So you said, I think you said you joined the company a couple of years ago. When you initially joined, what was your your job, kind of your role in the company and, and, and your the strategy that you were supposed to, to focus on? Yeah, I think the first briefing that was uh, given, that was uh, make data integration happen. One of the first initiatives for me was to integrate uh, or to give an integrated view on the newly acquired businesses. So we grew heavily even in uh, stationary sales over the last years. We integrated new core countries, France and Spain, for example. And we had the need to integrate uh, not only the process-wise, but also to have an integrated view on our business. So we had to integrate data coming from those countries to give um, the ability to our top management for a holistic steering of the enterprise. This is coming from the strategic development of the company, asking for integrated data and being one of the yeah, highest priority issues in my first months and years with Douglas. And on the other hand side, we had, a, let's say, fragmented data landscape that was hampering our ability to quickly gain insights. And therefore, the second task, which is uh, very much similar, is uh, the integration of silos of, on the one hand side, small, but also big data in one central data hub. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, you talked before about how the company really began a major e-commerce push. I think it was two years ago under the, under the leadership of um, Tina Mueller. How did that shift over you know, the last couple of years affect the overall IT strategy and in particular, the data strategy? 
Yeah. Looking back, where do we come from? We've got a very unique enterprise data warehouse that is at least 14 years old. It's quite rich in data, you could say, but it was developed as a classic data warehouse and uh, that is covering most needs stemming from our central functions. On the back of this infrastructure, we set up uh, enterprise reporting and that is originally focusing on stationary business. And now we've got this change in the business, really pushing e-commerce forward. We have to evolve our infrastructure. And uh, we started that by integrating at first, the online data into the existing data warehouse structures. But soon we came to the point where big data came into play a couple of years ago, obviously. What we did was setting up a Hadoop cluster. And this was uh, originally set up to satisfy analytical requirements stemming from the online business. But here is a challenge because now we've got uh, two information silos and one is providing aggregated data for classic stationary business. One is providing fine granular data for online business purposes. And as long as those worlds are separated, things are working quite well, you could say. But what about the omni-channel business, for example? With this legacy infrastructure, we cannot compete with the velocity of changes, especially in the cross- and omni-channel business. So Volker, what is your data analytics strategy today? So we had to change our minds and uh, go forward with a new strategy. What we do believe is that in order to put digital first, we need to establish one integrated physical data hub with all data that is relevant to our functions. It should be easy to access via standard tools, so not only be available to some experts, some highly skilled data scientists, for example. And this data hub obviously has to be trustworthy regarding data quality. We have to have good governance to make sure that we are compliant with regulations in place. And also we need to allow for central development. So not putting all the workload on one central team that might not be aware of a very specific business needs and requirements that are in some local markets existing. I would like to highlight here on two characteristics that are crucial to the success of the platform. So one is a decentralized development asset. So data assets are defined within what we call the data domains, where we can assign responsibility for data integration to functions that are the closest to the data. For example, online market data is being integrated by digital analytics, uh, while core data assets relevant to many functions is integrated by central data and analytics team, which is my team. And to ensure the transparency and consistency of the data assets, we did set up a data governance function that is responsible for the alignment of all data definitions. And the second point is about data access. So there is a rich variety of online data that we moved from our Hadoop cluster because that was never easy to access. And our goal is now to ease the use of our data by offering standard SQL interfaces that can be used by power users. Uh, and also we want to open all data to standard BI tools that are commonly used by our um, business users. Now the company talks a lot about its beauty platform. I think it would be really helpful if you describe what that means and then tell us how your data strategy is supporting that. The, the beauty platform strategy. Yeah. So beauty platform is in a way twofold, you could say. So when you look at technology, it's 
one platform on that we run our various shops that are set up individually for the different countries or customized to the different countries, but running on one integrated technical platform. But what we not only do is have our own shops here on this platform, but we opened our platform to partners. So to make it a true marketplace so that we can offer to our customers, not only our assortment, but enrich it with the products of other companies and everything focusing obviously on beauty. So what we want to offer our clients is then one unique experience. And this should be no matter what channels they get in touch with us. So this means we have to be consistent and we have to excel in all our communication channels. So uh, for example, we when you look at our omni-channel, we offer a variety of possibilities on how to get our product products, big doing online purchase, going to our stores, but we also offer a, a click and collect, or you can do an order from the store, you can have a delivery from the store and so forth. And this variety of processes and data sources is the challenge that we aim to overcome with our integrated data platform. So by bringing together the data from the stationary stores, from the mobile app, our online shops and marketplace, we derive deep insights about the category performance, the customer behavior and operational efficiency. And in the end, all this information fits together in a consistent way. It seems like your beauty platform and the technology underlying it really put the company in a great spot to deal when COVID came along, when the pandemic came along. How has that been useful and how have you fared during this crisis time? Yeah, yes, we did quite well, you could say. And our colleagues, both online and offline, they did a brilliant job. So we introduced all required measures in our stores, obviously, to keep them open as long as possible. But at the same time, we've set up processes to enable the sales, for example, of store inventories via the online channel. So hereby, we mitigated the threats of delivery bottlenecks of our suppliers, for example. And this was data-driven. We also examined carefully our e-com business processes and prepared them for potential threats. We enabled, for example, our local e-com warehouses to serve cross countries. So to mitigate the lockdown of warehouses in one single country. And in the back, obviously, again, you had to enforce all the data exchange to make sure that it was clear and transparent from which warehouse in case of a lockdown or a close down, you alternatively can serve your customers. Yeah, it's amazing when you think about it, because your company made these moves because they were good for business over these last couple of years strategically. But it turned out that those very same moves made the company more resilient in the midst of a crisis that it could not have predicted. So it's, I guess there's a lesson here on, on having a flexible and non-siloed business and also tech, technology and, and data landscape. So that's really cool. That's good to know. Hey, now I want to get back to you a little bit here too. Now, you're a leader and you've led you've, you've been there for a couple of years and it seems like they've been there's been a lot of change in the business then of course there was the crisis what have been the biggest challenges that you've faced in your role and how have you overcome them the biggest challenge is the ongoing project that we are running now so that is to really modernize our analytical 
landscape because we are not even in the midst uh, of the roadmap, you could say. In a way, we've just started, you could say. Our aim is, in the end, to replace our current platform that is catering for more than 14 countries. For example, we provide about uh, 5,000 reports to our more than 2,500 end users. And the challenge is to come up with a plan that is assuring real benefits for the business because business doesn't want just a new technology. They want to see benefits. It never was a real option to come up with a big, a big bang or with a lift and shift approach because those didn't seem to be the right answer regarding what is the benefit that I get from this initiative. We already set up an analysis of the most important data use cases. We call them strategic data use cases that should bring with them added value to the business and not just replace um, existing use cases. And on the back of those use cases, we defined a value-based roadmap for the setup of the new analytical platform. So we put priority, especially to support our e-com business early on with advanced insights. And also uh, a priority we put was on the data assets that have biggest effect, you could say, on many other business functions. When we do our modernization or our move into the new world, we always look at the benefits and each step should um, really have some benefit to the management, to the processes that you really can showcase so that everybody understands why this is a core initiative to the whole country, uh, company. Mm -hmm. And when and why did Douglas begin using the data cloud technology? We reviewed our existing analytical landscape right after my start with uh, Douglas in 2019. And soon we realized that we need to look for an architecture that allows us to integrate the legacy data warehouse world as well as the big data world. And after an intense technology review, we signed contracts with Snowflake in 2020. And what made us choose Snowflake were the ease of use and administration, and also the true dynamic scalability, as well as the ability to query semi-structured input from our online businesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So please talk about one or two of the most interesting or significant pilot projects that you've undertaken with Snowflake's data cloud. What kind of business or technology problems were you trying to solve and, and what results did you achieve? Uh, so we are running two tracks, you could say. One looking for the standards and one looking for early benefits. Right now, we've established with the first project our standards and frameworks that are necessary to have sustainable application developments in the future. So this is all about governance, data quality management, and so forth. So this is more the technical background stuff. And on the other track, we've worked on some MVPs to showcase the new possibilities and also to bring benefit to support our management and also our power users with insights. We've already migrated our big data from the Hadoop cluster to Snowflake. And now our power users have easy and controlled access to all this big data assets. 
Right now, we are looking at use cases that have critical performance issues. So we are looking at functions and possibilities of Snowflake that is offering performance increases. And here we've got some problems stemming from the legacy systems, especially with regard to peak workloads. You could think of early Monday morning, everybody in the store is looking for performance KPIs for the last week. And if you imagine you've got uh, more than 2,000 stores and everybody is looking at the performance numbers, then there is one major peak every morning, Monday morning, 8 o'clock. So what you need here is a dynamic scaling function that provides uh, the compute power at that specific point in time. And for the rest of the week, well, you don't need it anymore. Here, the cloud really shows its potential. Now, the, the cloud marketplace is... Technology marketplace is, is changing very rapidly. At the same time, business is evolving very rapidly. You know, a lot of people expect some pretty significant growth after COVID fades. So there's a lot going to be going on over the next year or so. I, I wondered if you could talk about what are some of the big data cloud trends and the new capabilities that you expect to see uh, this year and maybe into next? I think it's quite interesting to see how marketplaces gained enormous market shares in the last couple of years, looking at Amazon, for example, and their success lies in the range of the assortment that they offer to the customers and also in the ease of use. So how easy you can get the products, take a look, try them out and choose if you want to keep them or not. And I can imagine something quite similar. So in the information age, the information itself could be traded over marketplaces in a much more easy way, you could say. Because today it's quite burdensome or unreliable when you try to analyze your first-party data and bring it together with a third-party data from the outside world. So it's often something to do with, yeah, okay, you have to integrate some Excel coming from some source you don't have that much trust in. And uh, I see big potential for a marketplace for data, like the one proposed by Snowflake, for example, where you could, and this could drive digitization immensely, because it's not only a large variety of data that could be made available, but at the same time, uh, the access to this data, uh, looking at Snowflake again, is really easy. It's coming with uh, near to zero efforts to integrate data stemming from the Snowflake marketplace into um, analysis that we are running on Snowflake. So this is something for the next 12 months I expect to gain velocity. And I expect data marketplaces to come up with something like plug-and-play capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Snowflake has the data marketplace. It has a public one. And also you can do private exchanges and things like that. And they've been out there for a couple of years in the United States, gradually developing and with more and more companies coming on board and more data types coming on board. But you and I talked before, one of the issues with you is that so much of the data that's on the marketplace right now is U.S. market data. And what you're looking for, the kind of the gating factor is you need European and German data. So how do you see that developing this year or next? 
Yeah, let's say we hope for the best because what we see with regard to the kind of data that's quite interesting to us, be it a footfall data when you consider your store locations or maybe potential store locations. Yeah, okay, weather information is a common information that you might want to have. Also granular demographic data is of high interest to us. And we see how easy it could be to be integrated when looking at the uh, data that is available for the US market. Uh, I think this is something we want to see for the European, especially for the European market. So that would be a great advantage for us. Yeah, it's interesting to, to think about it because these this is about network effects and data network effects. Once you start to get more and more data sources, and customers and suppliers of different types from different regions, It, it can have a snowball effect. It just gets more and more valuable the more people join and the more useful the, the data is. So it'll be interesting to see how that does develop over the next year or so. Yeah. I see the future. What a fascinating modern age we live in. Is this what the future holds? Now, we've talked about looking out a year. I'm going to ask you to put on your visionary cap for a minute and look out five years or so. What are the big changes that are coming in the data cloud and analytics that will have a big impact on organizations and also on society? Mm, sure. Yeah. Think about the democratization of data. And I'm really looking forward to this happen. So what we pursue internally is the approach of an integrated and curated data lake house. So this should provide insights and data to all functions. By, as I said, we want to ensure the, the ease of access and the trustworthiness, and you need obviously some kind of data governance to ensure this. But this can then be an enormous driver for pervasive analytics, because by introducing new technologies, big data together with classic data can be easily accessed by power users. Analytical tools, they support standard analytics done by power users, not only by data scientists. And those data scientists then freed much more from those simple day-to-day -day analytics, and they can really focus on the more complex assignments. We'll see the widespread application of analytics from top management down to operations, much more than today. And as a result, yeah. the companies driven by data and reports nowadays will become really insight-driven. I, I, I just wanted to drill down just a little further into what are the things that are needed for democratization. And it sounds accessibility of a wide range of data is table stakes, but really uh, a user interface that's really useful for non-technical people, it seems like that's a piece of it. But are there also different like, querying styles or, or techniques or something like that's going to that's gonna bring the ability for regular people to access and get very sophisticated insights? Yeah, I think here is the thing. If you want to really democratize data, you if you really want to make sure that people in your company, they take decisions based on data, you have to make the access to data as easy as possible. And at the same time, you have to make sure that there is no room for misinterpretations. So you really have to work hard on your semantics to make them clear. Also the yeah, documentation of your uh, KPIs and also to make transparent what kind of data quality you can provide to your business. So 
if you've got if you achieved that point then people should be aware of what they can do with the data and maybe they also should know what they can't do so you could call it uh, data literacy and then uh, the last step is uh, yeah to uh, take the right decisions coming from this data yeah it's interesting it's almost like one element of this is really almost to have a data science 101 class for a whole array of people. So they, you're not just handing them a tool, you're actually giving them a framework, you're explaining how it's going to work, those kinds of things. It's almost like a re-education of the workforce, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think with uh, modern technologies, it's not only that it's about new technologies, but it's very much about technologies already in place. BI tools are not that that you could say. But if you can use the tools uh, that you already have in place, uh, like Excel, for example, but apply this technology to the new data sources, because in the back end, you've got a much more capable infrastructure than the user, he needs to have a better business understanding and you have to educate him with regards to um, what the data looks like and what it means. But with regard to tooling, I think a lot of things are now, uh, the complexity is hidden by the tools. Think of analytics tools that by themselves, they choose the methodology to evaluate some statistical function. So uh, as a data scientist, obviously, you can develop models and you can evaluate what model is the right one. But nowadays, the tools themselves, they do evaluations and come up with some advice on what uh, statistical model you should choose and work with. So here, from my point of view, you need somebody in the company who is uh, doing the groundwork, the education, I call it the profits for analytics and give some sound advice and give yeah, best practice advice. But in the end, there's a real user. It's more like a, a classic power user who did self-service BI in um, recent years and nowadays can easily be educated and trained to also do more advanced analytics. Okay, let's move into our final segment, Up Close and Personal. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real up close and personal. During this segment, we want to get to know you a little bit better as a person rather than just as a technology professional. I know that like a lot of other knowledge workers around the globe that you have been working at home in, for the past year and that you have two young children, one, three, and very rambunctious, I understand. So... You're doing a lot of your work on video, Zoom and others, and you've got kind of like the kids at one corner of your eye and you got the video screen out of the other corner. So how have you been coping with that? And also, how has working at home kind of changed the culture of working at Douglas? Yeah, uh, I think it's a change for Douglas, as in the past home office was, let's say, more the exceptions and the rule. But I think that's the case with many companies that I know. So when COVID hit the world, we all had to uh, improvise and we had from one day to another cope with uh, home office and then uh, homeschooling. I mean, I remember on Monday they said, yeah, maybe in two weeks uh, you sh should prepare yourself for working from home. And then on Tuesday they said, maybe next week. So please uh, take your, maybe your monitor or whatever with you, your screen with you. And then on Wednesday they said, okay, now it's over, go home and uh, you work from home. 
home. So um, in a very small span of, uh, I think it was two or three days, mm -hmm. we came from, yeah, maybe uh, you do some home office to a, a full halt. Okay, now you go home. And the first visible change with regard to culture was the kids increasingly often joined our video conferences. And you got a glimpse of the colleagues' private life, what you never had in this privacy before. So in a way, looking back at this strange year of COVID, you could say formality has melted away and especially diversity is strengthened because it's not that uniform you go to work and everybody is working hard, leaving his private life behind. And then, yeah, you go home and you have your private life. But instead, we are part of, uh, much more part of the private life of our colleagues. And I think this is interesting because uh, you could say, yeah, everybody is at home, uh, nobody's coming to the office, so you're uh, alienating from your colleagues. But in a way, it's uh, the contrary. So today, we regularly invite our colleagues and uh, even strangers, new business partners to our home, and uh, we let people into our lives and uh, yeah, literally into our kitchen, uh, people that we never saw before. So here is something that I would like to take with me or with us into our new normal life to yeah, be more free about your private life, to be more open with colleagues. And yeah, this should be something that we keep when we start meeting again in person. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder, has it had the effect of perhaps people who weren't comfortable speaking at meetings being more comfortable just because every, everybody's more familiar now? Is that is it democratizing conversation, a business conversation, or is that happening or no? Yeah, I think so. When you're in a room, let's say timid persons that are not taking part in the conversation that much, you could say. And there is uh, another standard in working online, having visual, virtual conversations. You have to take care much more about when people try to jump in because uh, in a virtual session, only one is talking and all the others have to be quiet. And that's very different when you've got uh, everybody in a boardroom. So I think people get their voice that are normally maybe overseen a bit in a normal conversation. So it's uh, more democratic, more basic style of conversation. Well, that sounds great. That would be a good change for a lot of companies, I would say. So Volker, thanks so much for your time today. Your stories and insights about what you're doing with data and how you do it has been fascinating. Such a tremendously big transformation of the company, both the business side and also the IT side at the same time. And it's also, I got to tell you, we're so used to these stories about retailing where Amazon is hammering yet another competitor. But Douglas Cosmetics seems like it is really ridden to the top here and is really doing a great job with Omnichannel. It's, it's doing, it's being very flexible. It's being, it's knowing its customers and things like that. So it really seems like it's a model for how retail can, you know, respond and thrive into the future. So, so that's been great. That's been very edifying. Thank you. Thank you. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com data cloud world tour.